Take your Bibles and turn to the book of 2 Peter, chapter 3. <laughs> well, after that intro, the title of the message is Behave Myself. <clears throat> In a world that seems to be getting crazier by the day, and I mean crazier by the day, and a country that cannot decide whether it wants to lead, follow, or sit on the sidelines in a moral climate that is clearly at an all-time low. It is certain that the return of Jesus Christ cannot be too far away. If Jesus was born of a virgin, if he died on the cross for our sins, and he rose again the third day, then he is coming again. There are far more references to the second coming of Jesus than to his virgin birth, more biblical references. There are far more biblical references to the return of Jesus Christ than to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So if he came and if he was born of a virgin and if he died on the cross and if he rose again, then he is coming again. And if you believe as I do, that the return of Jesus is imminent, then the question that you might have, as is the premise of the series, the question that I have is, what do I do now? This is a seven-part series, and today's message is number three. Thus far, we have found that in light of the return of Jesus Christ, we should soften our hearts. We heard last Sunday that we should prepare for judgment And today, we are challenged to behave ourselves. Do you have any apps that monitor your behavior? Uh, My wife gave me a smartwatch for my birthday. It tells me the number of steps that I take each day. It measures my, uh, my calories, the calories that I burn, whether it's the normal Uh, metabolic burn, or when I work out, uh, take a walk, or even when I play golf, it measures the metabolic burn and or measures the additional calories that I'm burning because of what I'm I'm doing. It also helps me to record some things. I can record uh, how much uh, water I drink, or I can record uh, how much and what food that I eat, what my uh, calorie intake is. Uh, It does a lot of stuff. Now, I've used another app for a period of time, but when I got this smartwatch, it just, it really kind of ramped things up just a a little bit. The thing about those apps, and some of you have them, is that they will send you a message uh, or an email if you start to slack off just a little bit. They'll say things like, ah, come on, you can do it, or uh, I'm thirsty, uh, <clears throat> or things like, things like that. They'll remind you that uh, you need to change your behavior. They'll monitor your behavior. I was never good about monitoring my behavior. I've never been good about it. Uh, <clears throat> in school, uh, you know this, I was the person that uh, just couldn't monitor my behavior seeks undue attention was the check mark that I always got <clears throat> in the uh, report card, or lacks self-control. That was just me, and it still is. What about you? <clears throat> Do you 
monitor your behavior? More specifically, do you behave yourself as you should in light of the obviously imminent return of Jesus Christ? What do I do now, we ask? Well, I behave myself. Our text says in 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 9, The Lord is not slow to fulfill His promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Verse 11, since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. But according to His promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these, be diligent to be found by Him without spot or blemish and at peace. Now this tells us several ways that we are to behave ourselves. And some of these ways involve just simply knowing how to wait patiently. That's the first thing that we do. We wait patiently. Verse 12 again says, waiting for and listening, uh, hastening the coming day of the Lord, of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. But according to His promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. I don't really know what it means to hasten uh, the coming of the day of God. I don't really understand that. I I, I believe what it's saying here, but I don't know how you hasten God. God's ways are not our ways, and His thoughts are not our thoughts. And he is on his, his own timetable. I don't really understand that, but here's something I do understand. I understand what it means to wait. There's a lot in the Bible about waiting. Uh, when the Bible talks about waiting, <clears throat> it is not a, a one-point subject. There's just a lot of things to wait on. For instance, when we wait on the Lord, we renew our strength, the Bible tells us. When we wait on the Lord, we wait on the Lord to look for him. I found a verse one time that told me that if I would wait on the Lord, it would help me to maintain my integrity and my uprightness. When we wait on the Lord, we see him in creation. We see his mighty hand working. Waiting on God is a powerful, powerful aspect of life. In light of the, the world condition, What does that mean today? What does it mean to wait patiently for the Lord? Well, it means that we are waiting while we are watching the world burn. The words, heaven will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn, these are quite literal, and they're quite 
graphic. It seems, however, that we are in a, a time of preparation for these very things. It, it seems like that, that there's just gasoline being poured on the, the world and on our worldly system and on what's going on in the world around us so that at any time God could just throw a spark on it and this world would, uh, would melt away. Forget for a moment the condition of America and the silliness of today's political climate. <clears throat> Just look at the, the world in general, the world that we're living in. Now this is, uh, what is this? This is April the 24th. <clears throat> I prepared this message on April the 7th. That's when I was studying for this message. I finished it on April the 7th. And at that time, there had been, at that day, on that day, April the 7th of 2016, <clears throat> there had been already 96 terrorist attacks, attacks worldwide since January 1 of this year. From January 1 <clears throat> to April the 7th of this year, in other words, the first three months of this year, there had already been uh, 96 terrorist attacks. Now, we hear about them <clears throat> in Belgium, and we hear about them in France, and we hear about them in the United States, but in the world, say, surrounding Israel, it's an everyday occurrence. And we don't hear about it every single day. And if we do hear about it every day, we're somewhat numbed <clears throat> to it. But I will tell you, folks, the, the world is on fire. This world is in a serious time of decay. And during this serious time of decay, it's it's a time for us to wait on the Lord as much as ever. We wait on the Lord <clears throat> watching the world burn and waiting for the new beginning. Verse 13 says, but according to his promise, <clears throat> we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. So while we watch the world burn, knowing that the <clears throat> purging of the earth will definitely uh, come when Christ returns, then with finality after a thousand years, we, we must have some <clears throat> sense of outlook beyond the issues of this world. We have to see what's going on in the world, and I think we have a responsibility to be salt and light in this world. But we also have to see beyond what's going on in this world and realize that it's an indicator of things to come. The old song says there's coming a day when no heartache will come, no more clouds in the sky, no more tears to dim the eye. All is peace forevermore on that happy golden shore. What a day, <clears throat> glorious day that will be. Well, while we are <clears throat> waiting on the Lord, we have the understanding that that day is coming. We, we live in the world and we have a responsibility toward God and, and the matters of life <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> with which he has entrusted us. However, we live in light of the eternal day. We live in light of new heavens and a new earth and an eternal place of happiness. What do I do now? <clears throat> well, I, I behave myself. And here's what that means. That means I find myself waiting patiently, believing <clears throat> that the Lord is coming again. I wait patiently doing what God would have me do until I am in his presence. Now, what would God have us do while we are waiting patiently? Well, we wait patiently while living 
diligently. We just don't sit on our porch and wait. We live <clears throat> diligently. <clears throat> I had my car <clears throat> in the, um, at the dealership this week. And <clears throat> they were doing several things. And they got to the end of what they were doing, <clears throat> the very end of what they were doing, and they only had one more little thing to do. And so I was waiting for that one little thing to happen. And when I got myself in a, a time of waiting and <clears throat> had run out of other things to do, I found myself waiting idly, just not doing anything, thinking, well, I can't get anything started. They're going <clears> to <throat> call any minute. Is that the way we're supposed to wait on the Lord, is to wait idly, to wait as though uh, there's nothing that we can do? <clears throat> well, that is not the way we're supposed to wait. Our text says, therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these, be diligent <clears throat> to be found by him without spot or blemish and at patience. I can remember as a child being impatient for something. And my dad or my mom, I can hear my dad saying these words, you'll just have to wait. You'll just have to wait. I hated hearing that <clears throat> because you know what that meant? I just had to wait. Dad was the word on it, so I just had to wait. Waiting is one of the hardest parts of growing up. It's not easy <clears throat> to watch the world burning and to wait on the Lord. Now, as I've already said, we're not supposed to wait idly by. Luke chapter 19 and verse 13, Jesus gives a little insight as to what we're to be doing. He talks about the ten servants calling ten of his servants. He gave them ten minas and said to each of them, engage in business until <clears throat> I come. That's a picture of what we're supposed to be doing while we're waiting for the return of the Lord. We're to be engaged in business. We're to be doing something. We're to be <clears throat> actively involved. Now, what kind of business are we to be involved in? Well, there's all kinds of business as it comes to the Lord. There's the business of witnessing. There's the business of telling others about what Jesus Christ has done in your life. And that's some of the business that <clears throat> you and I are supposed to be attending to. There's the business of discipleship and stewardship. There's the business of missions. There's the business of living the Christian life. All of this and more is what it means to be engaged in business until the return of Jesus Christ. We are to be involved in business until he returns. It's probably true that most Christians are engaged in a lot of other <clears throat> business, but not so engaged in the business of God in light of His return. There's nothing wrong with being engaged in the other business of your life, but if you're engaged in that business to the exclusion of being engaged in the business that's going to count the most when Christ returns, then <clears throat> you should change the way that you're living and begin to live for him in a different way than you're doing now. As I've already stated, we have to live life, but with an eye toward the coming of Jesus. Now, how is that done? How do you live <clears throat> a life like that? Well, by living unspotted. That's what our, our text says. Without spot and blemish, we're told. If all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, how can we live without spot or blemish? How can we live a life <clears throat> that is unspotted by the world? 
Well, that can only be accomplished through the the power and the presence of Jesus Christ in our lives. The Apostle Paul said this about himself in Romans 7, 18, For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh, for I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. Now, how did he expect to live a life that was pleasing to God if he knew that was the way that his life was going? Are we just hopeless? Are we just unable <clears throat> to, to live our lives for him because we are hopeless? Well, in addition to what we are seeing in the world, is it, is it true that we are without any sense of hope? Is there any way for us to please God, to live an unspotted life, to live a life that is faithful to Him? Well, let's go back to what Paul's answer was to his condition. In chapter 8, verses 1 and 2, he says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Let me stop right there and and ask a question. What condemnation are you talking about? We're talking about the condemnation that comes as a result of the way that we live in our natural person. Our natural person would naturally bring about condemnation. Our natural person, when the light, the heavenly light is shined on it, our natural person would have problems that we could not recover from. But then he goes on in verse 2 and he says, For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. And this is how it's done. This is the way that it's done is to have Jesus in your life and to live Jesus through your life. So if you want to live unspotted by the world, what you do is, first of all, make sure you have Jesus Christ in your life, and then live Jesus through your life. Now, you will not live to sinless perfection, but you can become mature in Christ when you allow Jesus Christ in you to live through you. When you say, I will give in to the voice of Christ in my heart instead of giving in to the voice of temptation or the voice of the flesh or whatever other voices are speaking to you. Living unspotted by the world is to live in Jesus Christ and to have Jesus Christ living through you. Here's the second thing. To live diligently, we live unspotted, and we also should live unruffled. Now, this one's going to get just about all of us. Verse 14, again, the latter part. Since you are waiting for these, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish, watch this, and at peace. This is where a lot of us fail the test. We live in a, <clears throat> in a sense of well-being or trying to have a sense of well-being, but somehow or another our sense of tranquility is disturbed. We, we can't live without worrying. We can't live without being preoccupied. We can't live without being bothered by certain things. And there are things that will bother us. There are things that bother me and that bother you. But if you're going to live diligently, you have to live unruffled by the world. You have to say, I'm not going to let this get to me. And there are a lot of things that can get to you. And there are a lot of things that can get to me. And I'm not saying that we shouldn't stop the wrongs of this world, but we can't let them rob the peace that, that Jesus Christ gives. I, I, I'm going to, and <clears throat> this, this, is, this is really not a political thing. This is not a political thing. 
Some people say it's a political thing. It, has, it is not a political thing. But I'm just here to tell you that it is just plain old, flat out, stupid for Target to say you can use any bathroom you want to. That's just stupid. That's not smart. That's dumb. It makes no sense, but that's the world that we're living in. I can't be, I can't be unruffled. I, I've got to be unruffled by, I've, I should, my citizenship should be stirred up. My morality should be stirred up, but my Christianity should live at peace. My faith should live at peace. You know, there are a lot of things that tear us Christians up because we get torn up over things. I, I had the privilege, of, and, and he's still living and, and doing some ministry. <clears throat> I had the privilege younger in my life to know Warren Wiersbe, one of the most prolific theologians and writers of the day. Some of you have read some of Warren Wiersbe's uh, work. Warren Wiersbe is a great theologian. And I had the privilege of, of being his friend and preaching with him. And he's, he's actually been here and preached for us here in in this church. And I remember Warren Wiersbe saying, <clears throat> Christians have cares because Christians care. There are a lot of cares that come to our lives because we care about things. We really care about them. But even when we care about them and when we try to affect uh, change in our society and we try to stem the tide of, of immorality and perversion and just flat out weirdness, when <clears throat> even when we're trying to stem the tide of those things because we have those cares, we can't lose our peace in Jesus. He is still our peace. I don't have peace in my life because of where people go to the bathroom. Again, I think it's ridiculous what's going on, the argument. I think it's just ridiculous. But that's not what gives, is that what gives you peace in your life? Then you need Jesus. I don't have peace in my life over what the economy's doing. I don't have peace in my life over the condition of the world. I don't have peace. Look, I can't stop ISIS, but I can behave myself. I can wait patiently, and that means to live unruffled. And we cannot allow our sense of caring to transform into worry. Whatever takes the place in whatever takes place in the world around us, God is still God, and God is still sovereign, and God is still good, and we must be at peace with that. We have to understand that God is still a dynamic and powerful God no matter what's happening in the world around you. God is still, it'll change you and it'll change me, but it doesn't change the unchanging hand of God. In light of all the mess that's in the world today, what do we do? What do I do now? Well, we behave ourselves, and that means to wait patiently and to live diligently. I'll tell you what else it means. It means to think soberly. Verse 7, the end of all things is at hand. 
Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Peter writes that the end of all things are at hand. He had not seen what we've seen. He had not experienced what we've experienced. And, And I don't think that he ever would have dreamed that the world could become as corrupt as the world has become. I don't, think, I don't think that what he saw is a drop in the bucket to what you see every day regarding world <clears throat> condition. That being said, he believed that the end of all things were at hand. He believed it. Even though he hadn't seen anything close to what we've seen, he still believed. And I'm guessing that Simon Peter, an apostle chosen to write two books of Scripture, was close enough to God to be genuine in his expectations. My thought has always been that if saints of the past could see this day, they would say, boy, the return of Jesus is long overdue. And I believe I believe that the return of Christ has to be imminent. I really, really do. I, I think you should believe that. We bring children into this world, and, 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 and one of the things that we should do when we bring children in this world is make sure that there's a spiritual priority in their lives because Jesus is coming again. He is absolutely coming again. And, and I hope that you believe that. And let me just say this. I've said it before. You don't get to believe in some of the things you believe in if you don't believe that Jesus is coming again. For instance, I don't think you get to believe in the virgin birth. How can you believe in the virgin birth if you don't believe that Jesus is coming again? I don't think you get to believe in the resurrection. I don't think you get to believe in heaven. There's so many things that that we want to believe in that we don't get to believe in if we don't believe that Jesus is coming again. It's a shallow understanding indeed to say, well, I believe what the Bible says about the virgin birth, and I believe what the Bible says about the cross, and I believe what the Bible says about the resurrection, but I don't really believe that Jesus is coming again. I just can't buy that. I started this message by telling you there's more in the Bible about the return of Christ than the first time that Christ came. There's more in the Bible about the return of Christ than the resurrection of Jesus Christ. If we believe the day of the Lord is at hand, we have to get ourselves together. And here's what that means. That means we have to get some self-control. Not only is it a poor testimony when believers are falling apart, but it's an indication that they are not at peace with God. Have you ever had someone who should trust you demonstrate that they didn't trust you? How'd that make you feel? What was that like? Do any of us think that God is pleased when we fail to trust Him? To behave ourselves in times like these means that we demonstrate on the outside what should be happening on the inside, that we are at peace with God. Not only are we under self-control, but we're sober-minded. We have to think clearly. Being hysterical, worrying, fretting. None of these things, none of these things 
are going to help us be at peace. The never-ending scheming. None of these signs are, are signs of clear spiritual thinking. Now, I don't believe that we should stick our head in the sand, but my soul, we shouldn't run around like a chicken with our head cut off either. There is a sense of holy balance that should be in our life. Why? Because Jesus Christ is our Savior, and the infinite God of all heaven, the sovereign God, is our Father, and He is in control when everything else is out of control. He's in control. We have to believe that. We have to come to that. How do we know what clear spiritual thinking is supposed to be? How do we even know what clear spiritual thinking looks like? I've given you this passage. It has to be over a hundred times and maybe far more than that, but I'm going to give it to you again. Here it is. This is clear, peaceful thinking in times like these. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. And Paul went on to write, what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. Live like that. I watch Fox News, but I have determined that too much Fox News just bums me out. It just bums me out. Because you have to understand that whatever news cycle you're watching, and we live in news cycles of 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, 12 months a year, 365 and a quarter days. We are living in a constant news cycle. It's as close as your iPhone. It's as close as your telephone. It's as close as your smartwatch. It is all around you all the time. Now, let let me ask you what what happens on 24-hour-a-day news cycle. They look for things to report. And they just stay on whatever it is they're reporting on because that feeds the audience. Earlier this week, a singer died. On the count of three, tell me the singer's name out loud. One, two, three. Prince. That's exactly right. I'm sorry that Prince died. I don't, I wasn't necessarily a a Prince fan, but I didn't hate him. I didn't know him. Didn't know anything about him, really. But I'll tell you this. The news cycle sucked it up. And for the first 24, almost 48 hours, there was no terrorism in the world. There was nobody running for office. The economy was going to make it. I'm telling you, every single thing was rocking along. And the reason is because Everybody was looking at that compound in Minnesota where Prince has now mysteriously died. And so you got off of that news cycle. 
Now, I'm not saying that we should be unaware, but I'm telling you that in a world like we're living in, you, you can totally be paralyzed in a world like we're living in if you live on the news cycle. You can't, you can't do that. You're believers. You, don't be looking for the next story on the news cycle. Be looking for the coming of Jesus Christ. Now, that's news. And as believers, that's the way we're to be. We, we are to wait patiently, to live diligently, to think soberly. Those are all parts of behaving ourselves. And let me give you one more. We're love earnestly. Just love earnestly. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly since, you have, uh, since love covers a multitude of sins. To behave ourselves We have to learn how to demonstrate love, to demonstrate earnest love. That's that's one of my favorite words in the Bible. Love? Nope. Earnest. It's one of my favorite, favorite words in the Bible. Um, The Greek word for earnest means to demonstrate an eagerness or a fullness. Here's what it literally means. It literally means stretched out. You, you ever taken a, I think everybody here has done this, we've taken a rubber band sometime when we're younger or bored or something, and we've said, I wonder how far this thing will stretch. If it's a big old heavy rubber band, you get your thumbs under it, and, uh, you go out like this. And you go, and you go, and finally, Pow! It snaps. Do you know that spot just before it snaps? That place where it's all, all, all that you could possibly get out of it? You know what that spot is? That's the spot that would be described by the Greek word for earnest. Fully stretched out. Completely stretched out earnest, all you can get, like Maxwell House coffee was, good to the last drop. Everything, all, man, all of it, that's earnest. That's how Christians are supposed to love each other. We're supposed to love each other earnestly. I love my family so much it hurts sometimes. Do you all understand that? Do you understand you're loving somebody so much there's something inside of you that you can't define, but it just kind of hurts? It's a good hurt, but it's, it's a loving hurt, but it hurts. You ever, you ever hugged a child that you love so much you think, I can't? it's not possible for me to hug them as much as I want to hug them because they've got to get down and go and do what they do. Have you ever said, I can just eat you up with a spoon? You ever love somebody so much like that, just eat them up with a spoon? You ever love somebody like that? Just everything that's in you, love them that much. That's how we're supposed to love each other. 
It is. I mean, in light of the return of Jesus Christ, in light of the reality that Jesus is coming again, we should love each other so much you couldn't get any more love out of us if you twisted it and drained us and said, I'm going to drain one more drop of love out of you. for the No, you can't get any more. I'm loving with all I got. You mean that'll get us ready for the coming of the Lord? Well, that's one of the things we're supposed to do. We're supposed to love earnestly, and we're supposed to have, I like this, happy, happy hospitality. It's an interesting way to end this, this message, but with verse 9, show hospitality to one another without grumbling. <laughs> it's interesting that we're told to show hospitality without grumbling. Have you ever grumbled or rolled your eyes when a family needed a meal? Oh, I need a meal. Oh, man. I guess I can bring something. I guess I can. Or you're asked to open your own home to a missionary or to a, maybe a, a singing group that's coming through representing a Christian college. To be real honest with you, I quit having those kind of groups a long time ago. And, and the reason is because that the hospitality kept falling back on the same people. Everybody else, no, 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 I really can't do that. Did you know part of preparing ourselves for the coming of the Lord is to have happy hospitality, to be glad about it? It sounds a little bit like I'm I'm bumming you out. I want to end with a good story. Let me show you a picture here. This this picture, that's the the Latini family, L-A-T-I-N-I, the Latini family. They're Argentine. As most of you know, Jan and I, we're recently in Argentina, at Word of Life Argentina. Palabra de Vida, they call it. We had a problem while we were there. I didn't tell you about it, but I'm going to tell you about it now. There was too much hospitality. Way too much. Way too much hospitality. People asked to have us in their homes for lunch or for dinner. We stayed in a beautiful home there that had an apartment that was just for guests. It was ours. It belonged just to us. We stayed in that beautiful apartment. And it had a kitchen and all that kind of thing. But, oh, no, we didn't fix our own breakfast. The people who owned the home every morning had us to come into their part of the house and to have breakfast with them. And lunch was at someone's house. And, and it was always more than we needed to eat. And then there was dinner, and I do mean dinner. Oh, my goodness gracious. If we were in a restaurant, we were in someone's home who cooked enough for a restaurant. (laughs) To Dale's credit, he amened another point today, too. If we had extended our stay, they would have extended their hospitality indefinitely. That family, the Latini family, they, we, were, we finished up there on a Sunday morning, and they asked, could they have us at their home for lunch on Sunday morning? And so we went to their, their house for lunch on Sunday morning. Argentina, like much of the world, is a mid-range economy. They have many privileges that we have in America, but not the abundance or the variety 
um, that person right there, that whole collective family, they're just trying to raise a minimum wage out in California to $15 an hour. That whole collective family doesn't earn together $15 an hour. That whole collective family together, they don't earn that. Because I asked, one Argentine told me that in America, when gas goes up so fast, there's, goes up, there's long lines. Y'all, y'all have experienced that. He said, we don't do that in Argentina. And he said, we don't do that in Argentina because the gas goes up all the time. And it goes back down, it goes up. He said, it's, it's just whatever day you catch it on. We just don't, we can't worry about it. In fact, gas went up 6% during the week that we, or the few days that we were there. It went up 6% from the day that we got there until the time that we left. Well, how much was it? Well, it was the equivalent of about $4 a gallon. It went up 6% while, while we were there. They never even mentioned it. They drove us everywhere, never even mentioned it. You know why? Because they have happy hospitality. Prosperity should produce more hospitality, but that's not what makes somebody loving and hospitable. Loving the Lord and looking for the coming of the Lord, living for Him each day, that's what makes the difference. So what do I do now? What am I supposed to do now? Well, in light of His coming, here are a few things and I'm done. We have to behave ourselves. We have to live diligently, wait patiently, think soberly, and love one another faithfully. And that will help us to survive a strange day like we're living in.